Lynn Bramer, indeed, in with me, Speaks, for another 35 minutes or so. Appreciate the time. Thanks, Speaks. It's a dream come true. A little sports talk radio from a guy who shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> you mean me? How dare you, sir? How dare you? Happy Easter, uh, Lynn. Um, and you have a cookie and a note there from uh, our mutual boss, Mitch Rosen, wishing you a happy Easter. I was given a box of matzah. Who gave you the jerky? Um, the jer- That's right, tough guy. Yeah, the, yeah, right. Jerky I got somewhere else. But Mitch gave me a note and a box of matzah so I can celebrate Passover as uh, as as we are here as the manner, together. As, in a manner befitting a gentleman like you. Yeah, it's true. Um, have you ever had the gluten-free matzah? Delicious. Why would I have gluten-free matzah? Because it's better than the regular matzah. I don't believe you. No, I'm serious. Don't shake your head at me, Eli Hershkovich. Incorrect. No, False have, you, statement. have you tried it? Yes, I no, ate it. It tastes like a Pringle. I'm serious. If you salt it a little, dip it in the salt water, the gluten-free matzah tastes like Pringles. Give See, me the I, traditional stuff all day long. Yeah, yeah, give me the gefilte fish with the horseradish. Don't give me the gefilte fish without the horseradish. Hey. Cannot abide the gefilte fish without the with the horseradish. I'm all in. Here's the most important question. Your matzo balls, sinkers or floaters? Sinkers yeah, is the I was, answer. I didn't know what the answer was, but I, I, I was going to say sinkers. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm not just jumping on the back of Matt Spiegel, right. and I mean that in a metaphorical sort of way. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I believe in the sinkers. Speaking of sinkers, Jose Quintana's been throwing it a little bit more lately. Yeah. Hey! How are you? Yeah, you know what I like about Come on! You know, even when Quintana was struggling, he he would miss by inches. When Tyler Chatwood is struggling, uh-huh. he misses by yards. <laughs> well, oh, a little bit outside. Uh, just but, uh, a bit little, outside. little bit outside. Yeah, that one hit the mascot. Let's see what happens with Tyler Chatwood today. Could be an Easter miracle. It's not been a good weekend for the free agent acquisitions of 2018. I go, I, you know, although Darvish, he ended up going five. He struck out seven, I believe. See, this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Lower the bar and Ooh. back-to-back jacks. Let's put it in the rearview mirror. He, yeah. he put it all together after that. Do you know the, what sports comp keeps coming to mind for you, Darvish, in this I'm afra- town? I'm afraid to ask. No, let's, th- let's think about it. Who is somebody with a, a world full of talent that you just kept wondering, man, if he could just put it together, just just put it just together just a little bit. It's so close. You know, let's give him this help. Let's give him that help. Let's give him this help. Let's give him that help. Maybe almost, almost. A pitcher? No. A hitter? Quarterback. A quarterback. <laughs> the star of the TV reality series? Yes. So there's just a little bit of Cutler Darvish comps floating around there. Just a tiny little oh, bit. Oh, they have great arms, man. They uh, both have great, great arms. Hugh Darvish has never pitched up to the quality of his stuff. He has never produced up to the quality of his stuff. Even pre-Cubs? Correct. Even those those very good years in Texas, even those were not up to the excellence of his stuff. It blows people away. If I and it continues them- to. If Gosh, I could, that's the worst. <laughs> if I could throw the ball ninety-eight miles an hour in the uh, latter innings of a game I'm pitching, I feel like I could get stuff done. I want to know what kind of pitcher Lynn Bramer was in high school because he was a pitcher in high school. I want to know what kind of career he has in some parallel universe and in the bizarro earth that's that's out there. Who Lynn Bramer is? But before we get to that, let's tell you about the news of the day. Uh, both teams have made some moves. So Zach Birdie. And Luis Basabe. Uh, where, where are they going, Eli? Class A. Low right? A Canapolis. Low A Canapolis for both of them. Now, Zach Birdie 
had been recovering from Tommy John, had been shut down last year in the Arizona Fall League. Zach Birdie, former number one or first round pick, I believe 2016. But Birdie, if he's going to low A Canapolis, if he's healthy and he can throw, he may make a meteoric rise this year. I mean, they've talked about him. And you know how it is with young pitchers these days. If you can throw and you've got it, they'll just go ahead and, and climb you, climb you, climb you. Where are Lynn's stats on Birdie? I want to hear some of those. I know. <laughs> he was giving us Ryan Cordell information. I, I was just looking up Dylan Maples because he's got, he's, got, he's got a heater uh, and his numbers right now are not so good. But Zach Birdie, um, Rick Hahn had been talking about him last year, even at the GM meetings that just want him to get back throwing regularly at a very long rehab process. He cleared every hurdle we had for him at the end. So Zach Birdie getting going to Loe Canopolis and Basabe, Luis Robert Basabe, broke the hamate bone in his hand two months ago or so. So he comes back and they both go to Loe Canopolis and then we'll see where they go. If they can establish health and 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 regularity there, then they'll kind of they'll kind of move them up a little bit. Also, a uh, little more Sox news from the minors: a minor injury last night for Luis Robert, minor one, but. It happened. Luis Robert has a sore left hand. Our own Bruce Levine is reporting. Was removed from the game for precautionary reasons last night. He is day-to-day. It's being called a contusion of the left hand. Luis Robert is my favorite player in the White Sox farm system. Why is that? Because he has... You remember when... If certain athletes would show up and you'd be like, oh, my God, that guy can do everything. Right. The first time you saw Bo Jackson, the first time you saw Eric Davis, the first time you saw Yasiel Puig a few years Five ago. tool players. You bet. You bet. Ty and- Griffin. <laughs> And, and and some of them, some of them developed, and some of them did some not. Know, the first know. time I saw Ron Gant, I was like, "Oh my God, look at that guy! He can do absolutely everything." Well, he had a great year or two, didn't he? He had, he had, he had a few great I think years. He had thirty home runs one year. He had, he had, yes, he had. He had several great years. Who was, um, you know, so he, Luis Robert is one of those kind of athletes. Everything he does, he does remarkably well and gracefully, and lately has shown a lot of potential with the stick. And um, and 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 I I believe that uh, he has a shot to catapult through the system. He's been, you know, if we'll we'll see how far along he can go. And the Cubs, meanwhile, uh, made a move. They called up Alec Mills today, which reeks to me of backup in case Tyler Chatwood has a terrible start today. And there is a TBD on Thursday right now for who's going to start for that game. But Alec Mills, a guy that uh, they have trusted to start games in the past, um, will be here today. Randy Rosario going down to the minors. He's one of two guys with options uh, was Rosario uh, left on this team. So, uh, so there is there are your nuggets for the day. We will That's talk some huge news. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> maybe not. All right, Pally, um, Lynn Bramer. I have a I have a child who does not really care about baseball when I take him to the game. It is heartbreaking. I have tried uh, many different ways. The most success that I have had is through your methodology that you taught me that you used on your own child and worked remarkably well. Right. Well, uh, here's the thing. Um, behavioral scientists will tell you that bribing your child is the wrong thing to do. So let me tell you how the wrong thing to do actually works. Um, when a kid goes to the game, he's mostly, you know, three, four, five, um, maybe even six. Baseball, three hours sitting in a seat for a yeah. kid. It's rough. Um, 
sometimes, you know, if if you're not really close to the field, it's kind of hard to see the ball off the bat. Uh, so we employed the M&M game, which focuses the kid on the game because you say, all right, every time a Cub gets a hit, you get one M&M. Anytime there's a home run, you get four M and M's. Of oh, course, if it's a exciting. if it's a one nothing no hitter, you've ruined the kid forever. He has no interest <laughs> in the game for the rest of his life. But the 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 M M&M and M game has has yielded some benefits. Okay, so what, what, I, I think my kid was going to be a baseball fan no matter. But what. what happens on defense? See, I I, I adjusted, I augmented it. Maybe it's a, a product of our, our modern day instant gratification society. But I went ahead and said a strikeout. For the for the yeah. pitching staff also brings an M and I I have done that as I have done that as well okay. to, to keep it on both sides of the field. Yeah, I think I went. Uh, I think I I simplified further. I think I went any base runner. So a walk. I went ahead the, and gave an M M&M and M as well. The thing that you can't do is you can't cave in and go. Okay, here's a handful of M because because then you remove the whole. Uh, torturous experience for the kid. You you really want to you want to torture your kid early at a ball game uh-huh. so they get used to the the endemic and endemic failure that is part of baseball and watching baseball and playing baseball. Yeah, that's right. There's torture. There's inherent torture. So the 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 slow parsing of the M and M's. Oh no, that was an error. That's not a hit. Uh-huh. He said moops. Well, you know that so that can be helpful. So folks should learn that uh and and, and use that. The the M&M game can be extremely helpful. You think your kid was going to be one though no matter what, huh? Yeah. Well, he he went to 15 games before he was one. And actually that's the best time to take a kid to a ball game before they can walk when you're they're in the car seat and they're just sleeping because the crowd noise is ambient. Once they start that, to walk, yeah, that's the best time to take them anywhere. Really. <laughs> right, best time right. to travel with restaurants them. when, when they're luggage. When they're merely luggage <laughs> they're is merely the best time. A pile of luggage, but once they walk, then then you start going up and down the ramps, and the ramps at Wrigley Field are terrifying because they can easily slip through those bars. I mean the the, the banisters. Oh God. You got to think about that, uh-huh. but you got you got the up and down, up and down the ramp, and you got the right field corner. Here comes a train. Hey, look, here comes a train. You got to work all the angles at Wrigley Field, and then when all else fails, try to avoid the can- cotton candy because right. that's just a mess. All right. So, so when I was when I was young, Lynn, I um I was not a very good baseball player, but I did have a few moments there. In it in in little league and and really it was just after there I had about twenty five minutes one afternoon when I thought I was going to be a submariner, like wow. I I I just I was watching probably Kent Tacolvi Dan Quisenberry Dan Quisenberry those were my guys those were my comps, and I started throwing that way and I thought I was hitting the mitt every time. I sensed that there was some movement on my pitches that I thought was some kind of miracle. Unhittable. But I, I, th- <laughs> I think it was just that I was falling off the mound, and so it looked like the pitches were moving. That's one way to go. <laughs> I don't think they themselves were actually moving. There certainly was no educated snap of the wrist or, or manipulation of, of the baseball within my fingers. It was just I, I told myself that it was kind of a miracle. And I, and I thought I was gonna I, I was gonna go. You actually were a pitcher and 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 could pitch pretty well, right? Well, it, my freshman year in high school, the starting pitcher got bursitis, and uh, I had been working out with the JV team. And the coach in in a gym, uh, a fastball looks much faster 
uh, and I was working out with the JV team, and it was one of those things where the coach looked over and said, "What's who's that? Guy? What's he doing?" And actually, I think that the year I became a competitive swimmer added five miles an hour on my fastball because it built up my shoulders and my arms. Maybe that's what they're doing at driveline baseball when all these guys go away and they come uh, back you know and they're what? throwing five miles an hour fast. If if I were a coach these days, I'd say get in the pool. Get in the pool, start swimming laps. Uh, but I was the starting pitcher for my high school freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, MVP, junior, senior year. And my brother, who was a much better baseball player than I was, huh. was MVP his junior, senior year. So the Bramer brothers had the MVP locked up for four straight years. But let me just wow. issue this disclaimer. That's awesome. It, That's genuinely awesome. It, it was a very small school in a crappy league. We, I, I mean, the doesn't name, matter, man. You had that experience. You had oh, that yeah. feeling of being the star pitcher on your team, the MVP on your team as a starting pitcher. You had that feeling, this is my ball. I'm going out there. I'm going to do this. There is no greater feeling for somebody who can throw a baseball than walking up on the mound and saying, okay, this is all me right now. Let's see what I have. Uh, and, and you know, facing each batter. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, when your fastball is, is feeling good. One of the things about high school pitching, I think most high school pitchers go through their career with some degree of soreness in their arms. I just remember my arm being a little bit sore for almost every game I I pitched, except at the beginning of the season. And since my hero as a pitcher was Sandy Koufax, there was no, okay, I'm just going to cruise here. It was throw the ball. As hard as you can. As hard as you can. In fact, batting practice, if I would mistakenly hit my brother um, with a pitch— I wouldn't ask if he was okay. I would say, was it fast? Did it hurt? <laughs> Those were important to me uh, to see if I was getting the snap on the fastball. See, that feeling as a pitcher of going out there and being like, this is mine, it is so unique. It's like, it. it it's, uh, I mean, I, I suppose the comps are, you know, a basketball player with the shot clock winding down and the ball in your hands and it's yours, but you still have teammates you can pass to. Or Maybe the, or on the free throw line. Or the host of hit and run. Where, where you, you know, got to toss to a brick and you're all, already three minutes late. Exactly. Mm. Or the golfer, right? It's, it, That's it's individual. Right? It's individual it's, achievement. It's Tiger knowing on the 16th green that he has three holes left and he's the only one who can blow this. Or finish it, right? Depending on how it goes. No, it's a great feeling, and and to this day, the, the most confident thing I can do physically is throw a baseball. To this mm. day, still play catch, uh, still love throwing a baseball whenever I can. Uh, which doesn't explain how I sent um, a photographer's assistant to the ER throwing out the first pitch at White Sox Park. <laughs> you hit them. Well, I didn't mean to hit them. Don't say you hit them like Lynn just reared back. And what happened uh. was it was a little bit. It was a little bit outside. <laughs> and whoever it was, uh, so you and Fitty John sent. Garland, I think, was the designated catcher for the ceremonial first pitch. It skipped by him because here's the thing: if you're, you're catching a ceremonial first pitch, you don't want the guy throwing the ball to put you on the DL, right, in the injured list. So the ball skipped past him, bounced a couple of times, and hit the photographer's assistant in the knee. Now, it was XRT day at White Sox Park, so uh, we had like 50 listeners to come with us, and a, we were in the picnic area, and part of the deal was I went up with Gene Honda to do the announcements in the next inning. So, you know, I, I had to go, now batting, 
Paul Canerco. And that was a blast for me. But Gene Honda, who I've known for years and years and years, had the headphones on. He's listening to all the communications in the ballpark. And he says to me, hey, Lynn, uh, that girl you hit with the with the ball, she's on her way to the ER. And, I went, and I've known Gene for all these years, so I, I think he's just messing with me. And I go, get out of here. You know, she's not going to the ER. She was going to the ER. She went to the ER. Um, and the next day I called a florist in Bridgeport to, to, to send her flowers. Oh, God. And uh, he called me back and said, yeah, we can't deliver the flowers. I go, why not? Because she's at home on crutches. <laughs> she got herself some really nice front row tickets for John Mellencamp. I'll tell you that. <laughs> there you go. That's the currency. That's the currency uh, that's available. Here's, here's the weirdest part. The White Sox has never invited me back to throw out the first pitch. Did it three times, and that was the last time. <laughs> well, I think they can't afford the ER bills. Liability. <laughs> uh, a little bit too much confidence in throwing a baseball. Uh, all right. Well, it's a little bit of a drop from high school MVP to yeah. damaging a photographer's yeah. assistant at the point of hospitalization. I didn't like doing that. It's hit and run on six seventy. The score. What? One more segment with Lynn Bramer. In about twenty minutes, we'll look ahead to the Dodgers when we talk to Bill Plunkett from the Orange County Register, and we're a little more than an hour away from Cubs pregame right here yes. on six seventy. The score. Everybody up all the way around this ballpark. The 3-2 umber pitch. Strike three called. Ball gets away from Persinski. He's pitched a perfect game. Umber has pitched a perfect game on Saturday afternoon. They mob him between the mound and home plate. His first win this year is a perfecto. I gotta get down. I gotta get down. Or I can't work. A convergence of different things here, Lynn Bramer. This is the anniversary of Philip Umber's perfect game. I was not driven to tears at Philip Umber's perfect game. It was Mark Burley's perfect game. But it might have happened if, if I was there, but it wasn't. That, so that happened on this date several years ago. This version of Cumberland Blues right here is live at the Auditorium Theater in Chicago in October of 1971. That is pre-XRT history. The B-side of that 45 that the Cubs are giving out with specially priced tickets Wednesday night for Grateful Dead Night yes. was... Brown-Eyed uh, Women, live at the Auditorium Theater on May 13th, 1977. An XRT show. How about that? How about that? How about Grateful that? Dead Night at Wrigley Field Wednesday night. Of course I'll be there. I'm everywhere. Wednesday night, uh, fans will join the celebration if you want. you got to purchase a special ticket offer to see the Cubs take on the Dodgers. Uh, so that's Grateful Dead Night. You can get there, MLB.com slash Cubs slash tickets slash special slash Grateful slash Dead Night. Or just go to Cubs.com. Yeah, Cubs.com. It's all right there. And if you buy a ticket through that, you get a a 7-inch, a special 7-inch, um, double-sided 7-inch vinyl that looks gorgeous, which with that brown-eyed woman on one side, Cumberland Blues on the other side, Pressed at Jack White's third man pressing in oh, Detroit, just Michigan. A, just a harmonic convergence of coolness right there. Uh, that's very cool. So that's Wednesday night. And um, friends uh, friends of the show, friends of Mr. Blotto, Paul and Mike Bolger are oh, playing. Oh, that's right. Are they playing uh, out on the yeah. uh, Gallagher Way? They are indeed playing Way right to before go, the game. Mr. Blotto. I know. Come they, on. They are fastic practitioners of the Grateful Dead they arts. And, and and their own. but and, and great guys. I've known those guys for decades. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so, yeah, they'll be, they'll be out there. And you're going to be there. 
there on Wednesday night, I'll, huh? I'll be there. I, I've got to now and then. I got to go to a game. Well, today and and Wednesday, it might take Tuesday off. It's what I do, Matt. I know it. I it's know my it. life's work. This hour is brought to you by Continental Toyota. Experience the Continental Toyota difference with over four hundred new and used vehicles in stock. Located on the Grange Road and I fifty five in Hodgkins, ContinentalToyota.com. I will tweet out that link um, for the uh, the Grateful Dead uh, giveaway. I um, want to ask you, uh, Bramer, before you go. I don't want to go. I know. It's been fun, right? You could do this. We we could do this. You only had me on for like 15 minutes. That's what it's felt like. The best, um, the the hardest core baseball fan musicians that you you have dealt with in your rock and roll life. Okay. Because I know you've talked baseball with a ton of them. Yes. Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie is a baseball savant. Seattle Mariners fan. But he knows, you know, the minor league system of the Chicago Cubs. It is an obsession with him. Really? Ben Gibbard, really deep in it. Of course, you have the baseball project. With, e- which is, Eli, write these guys down. Okay. Uh, you, you've got the baseball project with Steve Wynn Steve of Dream Wynn. Syndicate and mm-hmm. Peter Buck of REM Fan, Mike Mills sometimes. Uh, those guys are into it. Uh, yeah, they've written records, uh, uh, songs and songs and songs about baseball. Do you have mm-hmm. a couple minutes? I can tell you about uh, Paul Simon, baseball fan, or uh, Simon and Garfunkel. Paul Simon, I know, is a huge baseball fan. My friend Kevin is uh, did monitors for him for this last tour and said they would talk. They would talk baseball almost every night. So I interview him, and uh, we go up into a dressing room, and we're talking. Uh, we start out by t- we both grew up in the same neighborhood. I didn't hang out with him, okay? Mm-hmm. But uh, Paul Simon's from Forest Hills, uh, Queens, which is a lot like Beverly or Saugenash, same kind of uh, gestalt. And uh, we started by talking about Little League and baseball. He goes, you know, I just took my coach to uh, a Yankees game. I said, your coach? Because, you know, Paul Simon's getting on, yeah. thinking about a coach. You're doing the math in your head. I said, your Little League coach? He goes, no, high school coach. I said, well, he must be getting on. He goes, well, he's 86, and he's in great shape. And uh, we start talking about uh, baseball. He said, you know, I-, I played in high school. Now, Paul Simon, unlike myself, went to a big, big, he went to Forest Hills High, 5,000 kids, like Lane Tech. Big, big student body. Okay. And um, he played, he said, yeah, I, I played for the, my high school team. I said, you played for Forest Hills? That's a lot of guys. That's a lot of people. That's really competitive. He, he goes, well, it wasn't that big. I go, yeah, no, it's a 5,000 uh, kid school. Uh, I go, where'd you play? He said, uh, right field. I said, uh, were you fast? He said, yeah, I used to lead off. And then he paused and he said, I stole home once. It was the thing I was most famous for before I became famous. <laughs> Paul Simon, baseball player. Playing right field with what? speed. See, what? right field, I was taught by Peter, Paul, and Mary, is where you play your worst player in Little League because Little League doesn't have lefties that pull. That's right. Well, the, the other a, thing it's is... It's a great that, song, by the way. I, Here in right field, it's important. I did a know. whole Lynn's bin on right field sucks based on every kid in Little League who goes... I don't want to play there. I don't want to play there. Um, all right, other 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 musician baseball or baseball uh, musician baseball fan. I mean, there's a million of them. I know there's there a million are, of them. I know Ben Gibbards and Paul Simon, Craig uh, Finn of the Hold Steady. Craig Finn of the Hold Steady is a huge one. I know that. Yeah, he did. Um, he did a version of "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" that we used to lead off hit and run with several years ago. We used to Joan Jett. I love rock and roll. Baltimore Orioles fan for life. No, I played in 1981 
a softball game with her. It was like a promotion. You know, the record company said, well, why, you know, Joan loves to play softball. Why don't we have, so the deal was Joan played with the DJs of the radio station I was working at in Albany, New York, and I had to manage and play with a team of contest winners. Hmm. So it was like a roll of the dice, you know, it was like the worst possible team. And she, even though she was left-handed, played second base. She's an awesome ball player. Wow. Um, Probably still can play. I, I bet. So there you go. All right. Um, let me. I'm going to throw a trivia question at you. Uh oh. Just because I've been holding on to this and I wanted to use it today. Okay. There is one active major league player in MLB right now who was born in the 70s. There's only one. This is how old we are. This is the age that we have come to. Last year there were eight players born in the 70s. Last year. But then Adrian Beltre, Bartolo Colon, Victor Martinez, Peter Moylan, Ichiro Suzuki, Chase Utler, and Brad Ziegler have either retired or are no, no longer with a big league organization. Um, and, I, and Ichiro played in one game in Japan for right. Seattle in 19. But there is one guy. Anybody know? Old? He's got to be really old. Mm-hmm. No idea. 42 years old. Fernando Rodney. Nine <laughs> nine hundred and six career games last night for Fernando Rodney. Not all last night, he's, but he's last still, night he's still thrown in the nineties. Yeah, he is. He tied Cy Young with nine hundred and six games pitched in last night. Cy Young, better pitcher. Uh, you think so? Yeah. Fernando Rodney has thrown eight hundred and ninety four innings in his nine hundred six career games. Cy Young threw seven thousand three hundred and fifty six innings in his nine hundred six <laughs> games. Just a little bit different. Just a hair. Lynn Bramer, I could talk baseball and music with you for hours, and we did. Okay, let's go. All right. Oh, you mean again? (laughs) Another time. Let's re-roll. Super fun. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, Matt. You're the best. Appreciate you. That's Lynn Bramer from WXRT. Uh, He'll be there on Wednesday night for Grateful Dead Night. The Dodgers will be in town. We'll talk about those Dodgers with Bill Plunkett from the Orange County Register next, right here on 670 The Score. It's Hit and Run. What you're doing when this man's at the plates. And a fly ball hit back into left center field, and he has done it again. A record-setting 12th home run in the opening month. And he takes a curveball deep to right. Unbelievable. That's two home runs last night for Christian Yelich. The record for most home runs before the 1st of May is 14, as set by Albert Pujols, later tied by Alex Rodriguez. Christian Yelich has nine games left to tie it. He has 13. He needs one homer in his nine games to tie it and two to take over. Yeah, he's ridiculous right now. Christian Yelich last night with those two homers, and the Brewers beat the Dodgers 5 to nothing. Let's talk about those Dodgers, and we can talk about this series a little bit with Bill Plunkett from the Orange County Register, who covers the Dodgers and joins us right now on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. Thanks for the time. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm doing all right. Happy Easter to everybody celebrating out there. You too. I, I've, I've been told that it's Easter. I 
It's kind of hard to tell during the baseball season. Right. All, all, all the days and mornings blend together. Just, if your eggs, yeah, they do. If your eggs are pink or green or blue, that's how you know. I think that's your, well, that's that, your clue. That just happens sometimes well, in hotels. You just never know. Yeah, understood. How, how are you supposed to pitch to Christian Yelich? Because I didn't think Hyungjin Ryu did a bad job last night. You know, I, I didn't think that, that he was in the wrong in any way. Christian Yelich is just absurd right now. No, well, the the way you pitch to Kristen Yelich is you get him to leave Milwaukee. I mean, his 13 home runs and 29 of his 31 RBIs have come here at Miller Park. He hasn't had a home run. I think he's only had like a double or two on the road. It's uh, he's just he's terrific here. There's a lot of confidence, and you're right. Rue Rue didn't pitch badly. Obviously, the game plan was to stay off speed and. Yelich hit a changeup out to the opposite field the first time and crushed a, cur- a slow curveball the second time. Hmm. So that didn't work. Then they, you know, he comes up with two outs and a man on second, so they intentionally walk him. Left-handed reliever on the mound gives up a three-run home run to the next hitter, Ryan Braun. So they haven't figured that out yet. He was only two for 12 back in L.A. last weekend, though. So that's, that's your key. Get him to leave Milwaukee. Yeah, 35 home runs over the last two years in 87 games at Miller Park. Just ridiculous. This is a good hitter's park. Don't don't mistake that. Very good hitter's park. The the players always tell me here in Chase Field, very similar uh, layout. They love the hitting background. It's not just the favorable dimensions or that the ball carries well. The hitting background, they see the ball really well here and in Chase Field. I've, I've had... Multiple guys tell me that over the years, but it you know it's not a Coors Field situation. Don't you know? Mm. Don't think Christian Yelich is a bad player because he hasn't homered away from the park, the uh, away from home yet this year. He'll he'll get a few. Clayton Kershaw goes today for the Dodgers. Uh, what your thoughts on the Kershaw that we saw in his one start, seven innings, six strikeouts, and the first start back? And what uh, what kind of guy we're going to get this year in terms of uh, velocity, pitch mix? Does he have to keep evolving here, or is he? Is, is, does he have a chance to be the Clayton Kershaw of old? No, I think that guy has – we've seen the last of that guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been saying that for a couple of years. It really started with the uh, the back injury. Uh, I think it was uh, 16. And he has not – I mean, he was Superman before. He's just Clark Kent now. He, he's still very, very good. He still qualifies as an elite pitcher, but he has to do it differently. You're right. He does not – uh, I don't think he intimidates hitters anymore. I don't think he dominates them. Uh, I don't think he can dominate them quite the same because the fastball is only going to be 90, 92 on a good day. But he still has, you know, some of the best breaking stuff in, in the majors. So he's going to have to do it with the slider and the curveball more often and use the fastball in, in spots where, you know, they're not expecting it or, located where they can't do much with it because he gave up a lot of home runs last year and almost all of them were on, you know, fastballs when he had to come in, uh, you know, over the plate or made a mistake. And he's, he's still a good pitcher, but not the same guy. 
Yeah, I, I, I've always loved and, and admired pitchers who've who've you know, you know expanded their career and lengthened their career after they lost the Heat, going way back to like Frank Tanana and Ron Guidry, guys who could reteach themselves another way to do it. Um, he's always been smart, though, right? He's always been smart and always worked on his sequencing and his game planning. He wasn't just a stuff guy. That's why he was so dominant. He. I will say this: is you know, I've been covering baseball a lot of years. I have never seen anyone who wants to be great more than Kershaw does. It's not just I want to do well or I want to get the next contract. He wants to be the best pitcher ever. He wants that uh, that label when he's done. And in some ways, that works against him because he becomes very stubborn. And I don't, you know, you ask if he's evolving as a pitcher. I think he's doing it grudgingly. I think hmm. he's he's doing it more this year than he did last year. Uh, when we asked him those kind of questions last year, he didn't want to answer them. He wanted no part of them. I think he is more open uh, to the analytics that are available now. Uh, and nobody, I don't think anybody in baseball is any more sophisticated in that way than the Dodgers are. And that encompasses, you know, uh, sequencing, uh, mechanics, all kinds of things, and he uh, you know, he's gradually using his slider more because of the feedback you get from those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he thought he could recover some velocity by making some mechanical changes because of you know the, the information he had. His body just isn't letting him. Uh, but I think he has he has finally come to that realization that he has to be more open minded. He can't. Uh, you know, just try and do things the way he did in 2014 and do them forever. Hey, 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 Bill, what did in your time now watching them and covering the way that Andrew Friedman does business, what have you come to be most impressed with? Because I, 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 it's fascinating to see what a guy who is steeped in like the economic efficiency that Friedman had to be steeped in in Tampa. Now what they do with money, they don't use money the same way a lot of the other big market behemoths use money, you know? So, so I'm impressed by that, but I'm wondering what you're impressed with in the way that they do business. The, uh, the amount of information that they have and that they make available to the players and that they use is far more than you even imagine and it's far more sophisticated than either of us could even uh, express it, it is amazing they won't even I mean they're very uh, closed mouth about this stuff they they won't even tell us how many people they have in the analytics department i've heard it's anywhere from 25 to 30 i suspect it might be more uh and some of them travel with the team they have a game planning coach there are media you know it used to be you come into town, uh, you know, to, for a series, and you'd have a hitters meeting and a pitchers meeting. Go over the scouting reports for that team, and if you, you know, like this, they played the Brewers at home last week. They're here again. They might not even bother because nothing had changed. There are meetings every single day with game planning, uh, with feedback for the pitchers on what works and what they should be looking for, or how they should sequence and. Uh, the hitters are all so incredibly well armed with data. Uh, that part of the game has grown throughout the league. It has exploded exponentially with this team. They, like you say, they don't use money to run out and sign the Bryce Harpers every winter. They use it on player development and they use it on this kind of stuff.
it, it is uh, it is amazing the depth and the sophistication of, of the information they work with. And and they've shown a remarkable ability to to make journeymen better as soon as they grab them, whether it's Chris Taylor or Justin Turner or Max Muncie, like to to, to, to kind of turn these guys in, in, into great players. Um, it, it, is there a commonality with those guys? Is it launch angle or, or, or contact point, as they call it, with some of the swings? Uh, how have they done that with some of those hitters? Most of the time, th- those three guys are, are very different players. But mm-hmm. a, a guy like Max Muncy, it is a control of the strike zone. That's something in a hitter that they value uh, very highly. You, know, you understand the strike zone. You don't stray out of it and chase pitches. You, your results will be good. So that that's a fundamental thing they look for in hitters. And I think this year's lineup uh, it reflects it more than, say, last year's did. They, you know, you had guys like Kemp and Puig and Machado who were their own, their own animals last year. And in Kemp and Puig's case, they were, were flawed hitters in in some ways. This year's lineup is reminds me of the the late '90s, the Yankees, the Paul O'Neill, Bernie Williams uh, lineups, where they would just every at bat would be a professional at bat. Nobody gave an at bat away. You you grinded grind down the starting pitcher, and you get to the soft underbelly of the pitching staff in the fifth inning with middle relievers and such. That's what they want to do with this team. A guy like Turner is that kind of a hitter. Uh, Pollock hasn't got off to a great start, but he's that kind of a hitter. Russell Martin uh, is injured, hasn't played much, but he's that kind of a hitter. Uh, you know, Jock Peterson is only plays against righties, but he's that kind of a hitter against righties. So, mm-hmm. That's what they look for with hitters. With pitchers, there's just so much uh, analysis they can do on spin rates and velocity and all that kind of stuff. That They spot things, and then they exploit that thing. If they have a guy who's a high spin rate guy, they only use him in situations where that that works or that's to their benefit. They don't just throw him out there and you know in a situation where he's not uh, primed for success. They're, hmm. they're they identify things and then they follow through on them very, very closely. They don't stray from their philosophy. So it's interesting, Bill. Uh, I'm wondering how autonomous Dave Roberts is, and I, go, I know that's hard to tell, even for guys real close to the team, because we talk about it with Joe Madden all the time. And now the Cubs pitching coach is Tommy Hadovy, a former front office guy. And hell, in Tampa, Friedman's old haunt, they have an analytics coach in uniform on the bench, a Princeton grad in his late twenties. You know, so. I don't know how how autonomous anybody is anymore, but, that, but I, yeah, that's that's the question that has, has hounded Dave Roberts since he got the job. Sure, there is a feeling that he's just a puppet pressing buttons. I don't think that's fair. I, I think there is. I mean, this is not Earl Weaver anymore. That era is gone. I mean, those those managers, a guy like Mike Sosha, even just you know retiring after last year, mm-hmm. that era is gone. Bruce, Bruce Bochy will be leaving after this year. You have to be much more of an information and resource manager than, uh, you know, calling hit and runs and, and things like that. I, Dave, Dave isn't handed the lineup every day and told who to play, but he has handed an enormous amount of information that indicates the direction to go. And then he chooses whether to go that direction or not. And if he chose to not go that direction, he probably wouldn't have the job for for very long because 
they, you know, he wouldn't be. I, I don't think they would be as successful as successful if they went against the analytics. Uh, pitch pitching changes to me are almost pre-programmed these days. Mm. And it's not just him; it's a lot of these teams. They they have a certain you know like with the, with the Dodgers, they don't have a sixth inning guy, a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy. They have specific spots in the lineup where they want to match somebody up. Right. Joe Kelly will get these three hitters. Uh, you know, Pedro Baez will get those three hitters. And whether it comes up in the sixth or the eighth doesn't matter. Uh, so that stuff is, is far more pre-programmed than the other stuff. And what I, what I think Dave and his staff should get credit for is taking in that enormous avalanche of information they get on a daily basis boiling it down and presenting it to the players in a fashion that doesn't, you know, paralysis by analysis. It doesn't overwhelm them. Mm-hmm. It, they feel like they're getting information they can use as opposed to just being pelted by numbers and, and spray charts and so on. Yeah, that's well said. That's the job these days. And not every player <laughs> takes that information the same way. you got to figure out exactly how guys are equipped to receive it. Fun talking to you, Bill. Appreciate it very much. Uh, enjoy your time in Milwaukee, and then maybe we'll see you at the ballpark this week. You got to take care of that weather. I don't want any rain delays down there. Yeah, we'll, we'll do what we can. It's beautiful today as a start for Bill Plunkett, um, even though he's up in Milwaukee where they'll have the, 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 roof, the roof open. If you look back at the Dodgers game log, it's hilarious. If we start on April 2nd, they won five games in a row. Then they lost six games in a row. Then they won six games in a row. And now with the loss yesterday, maybe they're due for a losing streak to continue into the week. All right, it's hit and run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel, your host. We have open phone lines between now and the end of the show. Cub fans, let's talk about the state of the team. Let's talk about this Dodgers series upcoming. Anything you heard there regarding Joe Madden and Dave Roberts and the avalanche of information and the autonomy of managers or not these days. If you want to talk about you, Darvish, who we could have talked about with Bill, right, from his experience last year. But you, Darvish, who you saw yesterday, Tyler Chatwood, who you'll see today. The news regarding Brandon Morrow, which was absolutely brutal from yesterday. We'll reset that information and we'll talk with you at 312-644-6767. White Sox fans, if you've been hanging around looking for a window, you could hop in as well. We'll talk to you about Tim Anderson, Yohan Moncada, and uh, the game that will be taking place up in Detroit uh, very, very shortly. So it's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. Phone lines open the rest of the way. 312-644-6767 on 670 The Score.